0: Well, thank you to Alex and the team. Appreciate the way in which you have led us this morning with great zeal. Uh, The sincerity of your hearts were evident. Well, we are going to continue this morning, and uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, So, do turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 15. And this morning, going to be considering from verse 22 down to verse 27. Do you follow with me in your Bible, and uh, let us hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that are put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Just so far, again, I would like us to bow our heads as we come to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, just a moment of silence. Just as we contemplate the the weight of the privilege we have of your word to us, that you as the Lord God eternal, almighty, majestic in holiness, would consider us speaking to us, uh, expressing to us, Lord, the revelation of your will, also the giving of salvation through your Son, and our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you, too, for your Holy Spirit and his work that we are dependent on in our own lives and even in our life together as a church. And so lead us this morning, Lord, in a practical, God-honoring way. And praying this in Jesus' name, amen. I think most of you are familiar with the phrase, riding the crest of the wave. We know that if you say you're riding the crest of the wave, that you mean that you're feeling very happy, confident that things are going well for you. And I'm sure looking across the many folk who are here this morning, uh, some of you are riding the crest of the wave. Uh, Some of you are at a particularly good place and life could not be better would be your testimony, and you would be saying that, yes, God is good, as we saying just a few minutes ago. Well, from last week's message in Exodus chapter 15, we could say that the people of Israel were riding on the crest of the wave, having good reason to do so, acknowledging with praise. Remember what God had done, that God had powerfully uh, done in, in throwing the horse and rider into the sea and, and, and God opening the way for them on dry ground to safety away from the clutches of Pharaoh, uh, leading them as they were riding the crest of the wave to praise God, proclaiming uh, and acknowledging who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, glorious deeds, doing Wonders. But I want to continue the use of this analogy of the crest of the wave. There is a lesson known to every surfer. Now, we live in Pretoria, we don't even know, uh, we're not even close to the seaside. But think about those who do know how to surf. And I'm sure you've seen enough of surfing to be able to identify this analogy that I want to bring this morning. Uh, This lesson known to every surfer that I believe. Uh, is unfolding in this passage before us. The higher you as a surfer would be on the crest of the wave, the more at risk you are of falling into the trough of the wave and then finding yourself clamoring for your life under the turbulence of the water. You get, you get the picture, and, and perhaps you've never been on a surfboard, but maybe you've done body surfing, and you've simply been dumped by one of those big waves uh, that overwhelm you. Now my point, point that I'm trying to drive home in this introduction, is that the ability of the surfer is not only evident on the crest of the wave, riding the crest of the wave, but, but the ability of the surfer is tested in the turbulence of the trough. That in some way, I believe, is what we see taking place in the lives of the people of Israel. They're not surfing. It's an analogy. We are told, as they traveled from the Red Sea in the wilderness, that they encountered some challenges. And it was what was taking place, we told in verse 25, there, there, he, that is God, tested them. And so my first point this morning is saving faith must show itself in practical faith. These people had very recently witnessed and experienced what could only be described as amazing, supernatural uh, action of God on their behalf. So we would expect, as uh, we read of the experience, that they would have a lingering gratitude to God and trust in God. Having experienced in the not-too-distant past, remember the the firstborn saved from the angel of death. Because of the blood on the doorposts and the lintels of their houses, the angel of death did not take the life of the firstborn of the Israelites. So we would expect that they would also have a, a lingering gratitude and trust, having experienced the safety of being able to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. I mean, surely that must have had an impact on them. And so we ask the question, will their faith stand up to the test of unwanted hardship? And as with the people of Israel, we too can easily sing while rising the riding on the crest, of the, as we've done this morning, singing as we, as we ride the crest of the wave and, and we experience life to be good and it can't be better, rejoicing in the salvation from the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's, that's easy when things are going well. But, what, but like them, you and I need to discover whether what we so easily rattle off in songs is true for us also when we're in the turbulence of the sea, down in the trough. How then will the people of Israel respond after three days of travel into the desert under the blistering heat of the Middle Eastern sunshine into a barren wilderness that could only be described as no man's land? How will they respond after this grueling journey only to find out that there's no water to drink? And then how do they respond when they find water only to then to discover that the water is undrinkable and so the question will their faith show itself in adverse circumstances will they be able to demonstrate this faith when their circumstances confronting them are difficult Will their faith prove to be authentic, genuine, real? Will it be proved to be strong or will it be weak? Or even the possibility of being non-existent, non-existent. Well, similar questions confront us today, and, and there is a question we need to consider as we come to this passage is, how will you respond? How do I respond to the troubles that we encounter in our lives on this journey of faith is the saving faith that we profess practical faith when life is tough which leads me to my second point it is inevitable that something will test your faith it was only five weeks I understand from one commentator Michael Eaton after the deliverance from Pharaoh that testing began and we read about the testing. and uh, They set out from the Red Sea. They went into the, the wilderness. By the way, that's desert. It's desert. It's dry. It's harsh. It's difficult. It's hot. Uh, they went three days in the wilderness. They found no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Spare a thought for the people of Israel. Traveling in the desert is not easy. On foot, they're walking. Some of them may have been riding on camels and others may have been on donkeys, but I can assure you that it's not like anything traveling in an air-conditioned SUV. It's not that at all. And so I thought about it, well, what kind of experience uh, confronted them? Well, they didn't have boots, So the sand between their toes would be grinding away at their skin. The rubbing of the leather onto the soles of their feet from the sandals surely would eventually be producing blisters. Three days walking. The fine particles of sand from the desert, blown uh, by the wind, stinging their faces. Dry lips cracked from the heat of the sun. And after three days, the water in the flask, so uh, the water has become warm and tepid. It, it's, it's, it's not nice to drink if there's anything left. But, but while going through all this experience, the first day and the second day and the third day, they're thinking, well, God will provide. God will provide. We will soon stumble into an oasis. But it doesn't happen. The expectation of finding fresh water is shattered and even then with a glimmer of hope when they do find water, it's undrinkable. Terrible thing to find water and then you find you can't drink it. Can't satisfy your thirst. And so now, now we need to realize they've come off the crest of the wave. They were now definitely not singing on the crest of the wave. They were rapidly descending into the turbulence of the trough. Their faith whoops, he was being tested. Their faith was being tested. Now I want to bring that into application for us here this morning. Their faith being tested was not unique to them. It has been the pattern of God's people, of God's working in the people of God down through the ages. God tests his people. And the testing is not for God's benefit, it's for your benefit, it's for my benefit. God knows, He knows what's inside of your heart, He, he knows what's inside of my heart, He understands and, and knows quite clearly the condition of our hearts, there's nothing hidden from God. But sadly, we don't always accurately know and assess the condition of our own hearts before God. God. And so to assess, to accurately know what actually is stirring on in the hearts of his people, we are tested. I found two passages just to mention some of the purpose that God has in testing our faith. Testing, according to the Apostle Peter, is to check the genuineness or the soundness of your faith. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Now for a little while, you've been grieved by various trials. These people were being persecuted for their faith. So that, he has the purpose, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Because the reality is, in the difficulty of the trough, it might be that the so-called faith that you thought you had evaporates, it disappears, it burns like, like straw. But if it, if it holds and it, and it stands, it, it shows something of its genuineness, which then points to the honor and glory of God. But testing also, according to James, now we go to the book of James, and, and he says it, it is to strengthen your faith. Chapter 1 and verse 3 For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So there's purpose in the testings that God takes us through. It is inevitable that in the course of your life, as you sit here this morning, as a professing believer, that your faith will be tested. You will come, maybe not just once, maybe twice or even repeatedly, to the place of Mara, that place of bitterness. Roger Ellsworth gives us uh, some insight into this place of bitterness listen to his words he says it is the place of unfulfilled dreams it's the place of disappointment every time you expect to lift the cup of life to your lips to drink deeply from its pleasures and comforts only to find a bitter taste I think that's true some of you have been there some of you are there and all of us will be there at some time. And so we ask the question, in what you have experienced and what you are experiencing, what has robbed you of your joy and your comfort and your ability to sing to the honor and praise of God? I was really distraught a couple of weeks ago my daughter asked me to read an essay that she had written for school, asking me to correct her grammar. She wrote in an essay, in this essay, that a terrible disease, eating away at her mother's brain, has robbed her of her mother. Now, in fact, that's a testing. Your testing is something else, something different. But there are hard things that sooner or later will happen in the people of God, in your life, in our lives, that will test the sincerity and genuineness of your faith. Which leads me to my third point. The danger of going from singing to sinning. See, God shows us here how prone we are. This is the way we people are. In an instant, in a moment, so easily we go from this the crest of the wave, the heights of praise, to the very depths of self-pity and grumbling. And so in verse 24, we read of these people, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? That was under God's leading that Moses had brought them to this place, which turned out to be a place of disappointment. And so the grumbling to Moses is tantamount to grumbling to God. Now what is this grumbling? Is it serious? Well, grumbling is nothing less than mutters of discontent. Grumbling is the sin of ingratitude. That, that inward impulse stirring in the heart to sing because of what God has so powerfully done in saving us and keeping us is suddenly quenched. It becomes stifled, it, it, it becomes suffocated, and, and all that God has done is forgotten. Psalm 95 exposes the seriousness of the sin of grumbling. It refers back to an occasion also in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, where again the people of Israel were grumbling at the waters of Meribah. And the psalmist writes today, if you hear his voice, that is God's voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. So that that's what we people are prone to do. We, when we face the difficulties of testing, we harden our hearts, and hardened hearts lead to grumbling. God goes on in this passage in the psalmist, where he speaks about where your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for forty years. I loathed their generation, and said there are people who go astray in their hearts. We can apply that and understand and see that grumbling or muttering is like that small amount of catalyst. I don't know if anybody here still uses Pratley's putty, but the thought that came to my, my mind when I was reading this is, is when, I, when I've used Pratley's putty, I just use a little bit of the catalyst, mix it into the putty, and in 30 seconds, it's as hard as a rock. you ever, ever used that or resin or something? Well, th- that's what grumbling does little bit of grumbling little bit of muttering and and it hardens your heart your heart be, your heart becomes uh, uh, resistant to god and and hard, hard hearts result in wavering faith and wavering faith means that we are less likely we are less willing to trust god and so the people of israel did not trust god at this time of testing sadly they went from singing to sinning even though they had experienced this this wonderful, great experience of deliverance, that should have continued to give them confidence that God would provide the smaller need. And again, we can leap into the New Testament because the Apostle Paul pointed out to the Romans that God will carry them through the difficulties of life, through the bends in the road. And he writes in Romans 8 verse 32, 32, He who did not spare his own son, the big thing that God has done, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now he's not speaking there about giving you a portion and and, and big bank balance. He's speaking here about giving us all things spiritually to carry us through to the very end, into heaven, into glory, experiencing the very presence of God. Now, what's the challenge? The mountaintop experience of today is no guarantee that you and I will not yield to the sin of grumbling and discontent and muttering that so frequently crouches at our door. And so, folks, there's a danger. And there's a warning that comes to us in this passage today that any one of us when we face these inevitable trials of life that we can slide from singing into sinning which brings me to my fourth point my final point this morning clamoring for your life under the turbulence of the sea forty something years ago I was a teenager it feels like yesterday. Well, my girlfriend at the time was Carol. My best friend at the time was Stuart. And the three of us were at the beach, and on that particular day, we were caught in a riptide, tide. very powerful riptide. It was off the uh, Pennington Beach in KwaZulu-Natal. To my shame, and even to this day, I'm ashamed of this, and so this is a confession to you. I abandoned Carol to save my own skin. Eventually, she did wash up onto some rocks. She was battered. The rocks had those sharp shells on them. Her body, top to bottom, was just cut. She was cut to bits, she was bleeding. And she was mad. She didn't want to be my girlfriend. (laughs) My point is this. Carol called out to me in vain, whereas Moses' call to God was not in vain. What was my problem? You see, my overwhelming sense of self-preservation, on the one hand, along with my inability as a swimmer, Nearly resulted in Carol losing her life. But God is not like me. God is not like you. And so we find out in this passage, Moses cried out to the Lord. And so the one thing, the one thing we can do when we feel like we're drowning in the depths beyond our ability to cope is in your crisis, keep praying. You know that. I'm reminding you, reminding myself, keep praying. Pray for each other, for one another. We can and we ought to look for help in the right place. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is able to identify fully one who's been, in every respect, has been tempted or tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now in this particular instance I want to take it further uh, at Mara for the people of Israel God provided for them in an unusual supernatural way verse 25 and he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water And the water became sweet. When we interpret scripture, we must be careful how we apply. That applies to them in that situation then. But what do we take? What do we understand from this? Well, the principle is we also can cry out to God. And we don't know how God will answer our cries of desperation. We don't know. It might be, it may be immediate relief as He did for them. But it may be in ways we don't like. God may have a a different solution, a better solution. It may even be that we are told no, or we have to wait. But the point is this. You can be sure that He will not leave you to spiritually drown. Reading on from verse 25, I want to move on from this uh, idea of, of praying this importance of praying but have a look at verse 25 and and again this is very specific to the people of israel the lord made them a statute and a rule he tested them saying if you will diligently listen to the voice of the lord your god and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes i will put none of the diseases on you that are put on the egyptians for i'm the lord your healer now that's to them specific circumstances specific instructions specific promises what can we take well there's a principle here in your crisis keep on doing what is right I want to share what I learned a dear brother and friend shared something very helpful with me after the passing of his wife The loss was sudden, it was devastating, as you can understand, unexpected, premature, we would say, and for him it was heartbreaking, heart-wrenching. And so emotionally, he felt ripped apart, he felt broken, he felt like his life was falling apart. And so in his crisis, where the hurt was running deep, leaving him feeling like he is at his wit's end, now listen to this. He knew he could not follow his emotions. They would lead him down a pathway of muttering and grumbling and sinning. And so he said to me, he decided instead, although he didn't feel like it, he decided to just do what he knew to be right. It is a huge lesson for us in that. To do what he'd done, he said, for years. His wife died on the Friday. Sunday morning sitting in the pew didn't feel like coming everything in him was screaming to stay away but he knew it was right to come and fellowship on the Lord's day with the Lord's people exposed to the word of God and the work of the spirit said to me that day by day didn't feel like it but he knew the right thing to do was to stay in the Word of God, to read the Scriptures, to meditate on the Scriptures, to pray the Scriptures. Did you get the point? We, we so easily follow our emotions. But in this passage, God is telling the people of Israel, just do what is right. I've spoken to you. I've not left you in the dark. Back at Mara, God spoke. He required submission, obedience submission from them. Do what is right in the eyes of God. And there's the added promise, avoiding the kind of judgment that he'd meted out against the Egyptians. So today we have the Bible. We have God speaking to us even clearer. We must listen to what he said and obey him. Just doing what is right in his eyes. Even when our emotions stir within us, prompting and urging us to respond in defiance grumbling. Thirdly in your crisis keep trusting God. Well my brother-in-law also pastor, he and I were discussing this passage earlier this week and he rattled off a quote and I asked him if I could write the quote down and I'm going to share this quote with you now. It illustrates my last point. Any surfer knows the height of the wave that goes before determines the depth of the trough that follows. So to put that in simple English, if the wave is very high that you're riding, and you fall, it's a long way down. You see, falling from the crest of the wave can therefore be harsh, challenging. Also realizing that being plunged beneath the turbulent currents of the sea, now I hope you've realized this now in the sermon, is a common challenge amongst the people of God. How do we encourage each other to keep trusting God? Well, I have two illustrations from the Bible. The one is Elijah. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And uh, I can only imagine the delight and the joy. Uh, imagine being Elijah and, and watching the fire, as it were, fall from heaven. Uh, God pouring fire from heaven, we told in 1 Kings 18.38, to consume the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and lift up the water in the trench. Man, he's riding the crest of the wave. This God is powerful. This God is good. This God is great. It's not long afterwards, we read, Jezebel threatens Elijah. And in a moment, the light turns to fear. And, and, and Elijah is like a scared dog with his tail between his legs and he runs for his life. And again we read, but he himself, verse 4 of chapter 19, when today's journey into the wilderness came and sat under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. This guy's fallen far. It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. God did not leave him in that state of despair. Verse 5, he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. My point, God carried him through the crisis. He could trust God to do so. New Testament examples, I can only imagine, I've often wondered what this must have been like, the ecstasy the Apostle Paul felt when he was caught up into the third heaven. Ever wondered what that was like? He describes it briefly. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And so the crest of the wave was high for Paul. And it was a long way down under the turbulence of what followed and what did follow. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So what did Paul do? He repeatedly asked God to remove the thorn. God didn't give him what he asked for. But he did not leave him to drown in the midst of suffering. Instead, we're told in the very next verse, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So again, what do we see? God carrying the Apostle Paul through the crisis. The crises among us are varied. Just like our faces are different, the circumstances of our lives are different. The temptation is the same. We all face the same temptation. It's to grumble. It's to mutter in discontent, dissatisfied with what God is doing, what God has brought across our path. And so easily the temptation to forget the bigger deliverance of what God has done. And sometimes, sometimes even to glamorize our lives before conversion. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had pots to eat from. And very quickly, we can go from singing to sinning. And so in conclusion this morning, dear friends, I say to you as I say to myself, and I preach this message to myself often, there is a better way. It is to trust God. You can trust God. We can trust God. I can trust God. He will carry us through. He will minister. I love that verse in Hebrews, sends angels as ministering spirits. I don't know who the angels are. Sometimes it's a fellow elder. They don't look like angels. But they they act like angels. And they come and minister to me. I'm sure you found that. A brother, a sister, a mentor. Trusting God to strengthen us all the way through our crises to heaven and glory. And so I do ask you this morning, will you trust God, not only when you're riding the crest of the wave, that's easy, folk, that's easy. But also when you feel like you're clamoring for your life under the turbulence of hardship. And Lord, I pray for us, each one, different people here this morning, Lord, the challenges are varied. Some people under severe hardship, feeling the weight Of the struggle. I pray that you would help them in the midst of that. Not to go the route of sinning. Help us Lord to trust you. To keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The author. But the perfecter of our faith. Amen.